I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Drive Baptist Church in Sumter, South Carolina. A lot of people think about having a guardian angel, but is that really what the Bible teaches? Today, we're going to talk about whether you have a guardian angel or not. Let's join this worship service already in progress. Thank you for being here. How many of you are missing that hour of sleep that you lost last night? How many of you promised to stay awake through the whole sermon? Yes, thank you. Thank you for those of you who are awake enough to wave your hands. So I want to say a big shout out to Pacala Campus and, uh, and to everybody watching online and say a special word of welcome to the girls softball team of Clarendon Hall who are worshiping with us this morning. Ladies, we are so glad that y'all are here with us. Uh, Mandy mentioned it earlier. I do hope you'll come back for the town hall meeting because um, we're going to be talking about the future of the Pacala campus and, and what we're going to do with the property that's been given to us. And I'm really looking forward to that. Now, we're in a series called Supernatural, and this series is all about the unseen world that impacts our physical world. Jesus' followers believe there is a spiritual realm of reality that impacts our physical reality. John Patton was a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands. The natives on that island were antagonistic, and in fact, one night decided that they had had enough of John and his wife and they decided that they needed to be killed. So they went under the cover of darkness to the mission station and they surrounded the hut. They intended to burn John and his wife out of the building and then to kill them. But a strange thing happened. As John and his wife saw these men coming, armed with fire, they began to pray, and the men stayed a few dozen yards distant from the building where they were at. And all night long, these men circled that building, but they never came closer than a few dozen yards. And when day broke, all of those antagonistic natives, instead of burning them out instead of attacking and killing John and his wife, faded back into the jungle. Now, how do you explain an event like that? Really, you're left with four choices. You can say it's unexplainable. But there is something in human beings that wants us to be able to explain things that we can't understand. You can say it didn't happen. That John Patton is a liar. Well, why would he lie about something like that? You can say that maybe there's a scientific explanation. Well, hold on to that thought. We'll come back to it. Or you can say there's a supernatural explanation. After that night, something changed in the lives of the natives on that island. And they begin to be more receptive to the gospel and in fact, the very natives that had come to kill John and his wife now found themselves as believers. They accepted Christ. And now about a year after this incident, uh, John worked up enough courage to ask the chief of the natives who had led his men in battle that night to explain what happened. And the chief seemed surprised. He said, well, don't you know? You had all those men there. And John said, what men? And the chief said, 
my men and I saw your building surrounded by large men, larger than anyone we had ever seen before. They were all radiant, dressed in robes, and they all had drawn swords. And we knew we could not harm you. Now, what is the scientific explanation for that? Often, when scientists hear about something like this, scientists who are skeptics, they will say that was a mass hallucination. Here's the interesting thing. Whenever you hear someone say that, there is no scientific proof of mass hallucination. Mass hallucination has never been documented in a scientific controlled experiment ever. So the scientific explanation is an explanation that science has never proven. What's the other explanation? The other explanation is John Patton's. John Patton said, I believe that night God sent his angels to surround us. Now that's what we're going to talk about today. Do you have a guardian angel? Now to really dive into this, we first have to pop some myths about angels. And the first one is the most common one. Angels are not dead people. Dead people do not become angels. Now there's something comforting. I understand why people will say this or believe this. Sometimes you'll hear people say something like, uh, well, so-and-so, God just needed them to be an angel. Now, God doesn't need anybody to be an angel. God can make as many angels as he wants. That's the cool thing about being God. There's nothing in Scripture that ever tells us that dead people become angels. Human beings and angels are different orders of being. The, the word angel in the Bible means messenger. That's what angels are. They are God's messengers, God's agents. The word that describes human being in the Bible is the word for dirt, from the dirt. Human beings are dirt bags. You can just turn to your neighbor and just say, you're a, no, don't, don't do that. Don't, 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 don't do that. So, so dead people do not become angels. Here's the second myth we need to pop, and that is angels are not the same as God. They are not all-powerful. They cannot be everywhere at once. They are not omniscient. Therefore, they must not be worshipped. Whenever an angel appears and people bow down to worship the angel, in Scripture, there's always the same response. Don't worship me. Angels do not want or deserve our worship. Here's the third thing you need to know about angels. Angels are not plump babies with harps. Isn't that what we all think? We all think of these chubby Gerber babies up on the cloud. They've got some kind of cute wings and they're plucking harps all the time. The number one response when people in the Bible see an angel is they are terrified. You may remember the phrase, they are sore afraid. That means to have your wits scared out of you. Angels are often depicted as warriors. They are spirit beings and they can assume physical form if needed. They are protectors. They deliver God's judgments. And here's the last myth we need to bust. Angels are not assigned to one person. Nowhere in scripture are we told that angels 
are assigned to you when you are born or angels are assigned to you when you are saved. So here's the big idea for the day. If you don't get anything else, you want to get this. If you are a follower of Jesus, I'm sorry, I skipped it. Uh, do you have a guardian angel? Here's the big idea. Do you have a guardian angel? No. Do angels guard you? Yes. Now, now you say, well, wait a minute, that seems contradictory. Remember, God is omniscient. He knows everything. And God is all-powerful. He can do anything. And God is omnipresent. He is present with you right now. Even if you're watching this on a delay basis on the website, God is still with you right now. And God sees what's going on in your life in intimate detail. Jesus told us that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Some of you are trying to challenge God with a number of hairs on your head. Others of us are trying to make God's work easier. <laughs> so if you are a follower of Jesus, God inhabits you. And that means you're never alone. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are never alone, never. And God occasionally will intervene into your life, into this world, and he will use an, a, an angel as his agent of intervention. An angel takes action because God told it to. Now, we need to look at a couple of scriptures. There are 300 passages about angels. So I hope you get comfortable as we cover all 300 this morning. No, we're only gonna look at two. The first is in the book of Hebrews, chapter one, verse 14, a lot packed into a few words. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Let me tell you, tell you what this verse teaches us. First of all, angels are spiritual beings. They can assume a physical form like they did when Jesus was resurrected. You remember there were angels there at the tomb and, and they looked like brilliant uh, white beings. They had the form of human beings. That describes the nature of their character. They have a radiance because they are with God. But then an angel often will work unseen. They have the ability to move between the physical and spiritual world. The second thing this teaches us is that angels are servants. They do not originate their actions. They respond to the commands and direction of God. You cannot speak to an angel and say, oh, angel, deliver me. An angel says, I don't take orders from you. Angels only take orders from God, our Heavenly Father. Which means we need to correct some of the ways that we talk. We don't need to say, well, I just thank God for the angels. That, or we don't need to say, I just thank the angels for protecting me. We need to say, I thank God for sending the angel to protect me. God deserves the credit. And then the other thing we'll see is that angels have a particular role in the life of a believer. You may remember Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife, were visited by an angel and told that they were going to give birth to a child even though they were old. 
You may remember that Zachariah saw a vision of an angel in the temple who told him that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby even though they were old. And Zechariah then was struck dumb. And don't you know that must have been an interesting conversation when he went home and not able to speak, trying to explain to Elizabeth, yes, I know we are old, but we still need to get together so that we can have a baby. An angel told me. He must have been very persuasive. And then think about it. An angel appeared to Mary and said, you are the most favored one. You're going to give birth to a son and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and this will be the savior of the world. You may remember an angel delivered Peter from prison. An angel stood before Joshua right before the battle of Jericho and said, as the commander of the army of God, I am now on the scene. An angel protected Daniel in the lion's den. Angels carried Lazarus to heaven. Angels made sure that the firstborn made sure the firstborn of Egypt was struck down in judgment. Michael, an archangel, wrestled with Satan over the body of Moses. Angels are too busy to be overweight plucking harps on a cloud. Now there's two issues I need to address. Angels have free will. Satan is an angel who rebelled against God. We're told that one third of the angels followed Satan out of heaven. Why did Satan rebel? He didn't want to follow God's orders. Whenever you are willing to be disobedient to God, you are following the path of Satan. The other two-thirds of the angels said, no, we're going to stick with God. Whenever you are doing the will of God, you're following the example of an angel. Now, what about when bad things happen? Why didn't an angel intervene? Uh, this week, I think we've all been aware of the tornadoes that tore through Nashville. And popped up on my Facebook feed uh, a story of, posted by a friend of mine about this young family that was missing. I don't know if they've been found yet or not. It was a, a young wife, a young husband, their three-year-old child. Nobody can find them. And then a few posts down, there was another post, and it was from a friend of mine who was giving thanks to God, the angels protected them, and they were safe after the storm. Now, maybe you're kind of wondering, well, what happened with the first family. I mean, like, was their angel taking a break? Was their angel off duty? Did God love the second family more than the first? No. This is the challenge when we talk about the supernatural world. When we talk about the supernatural world, there are things that we do not understand because, as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly. Now, I know none of you have ever done this, but on a frosty morning when your windshield is iced over and you have just a little bit showing right here, anybody ever tried to drive? Okay, a couple of you said, no, we would never do that. Bless your heart. I'm not saying that I've ever done it, but here's what I've noticed when I do. I'm just seeing part of the picture. 
I'm leaning down and I can't see everything. I can just barely see the road in front of me. And that doesn't mean that there's not traffic in the road. And that does not mean that maybe there's danger around me. What it does mean is on a frosty morning, if you see a Ford F-150 4x4 that's white going down the road with its window frosted, you need to get out of the way. When we talk about the supernatural world, we just see a little bit, a little slice. What do we do when we don't know the whole story? Well, you can fill that gap of knowledge with faith or with fear. You can fill the gap of knowledge with faith or with fear. It's your choice. If you fill it with faith, what you will say is, there are things I do not know, perhaps things I cannot know, but I do see evidence that God is at work and I do see evidence of God's love and I'm going to put my faith in that evidence. Now, if you choose to fill it with fear, what you're saying is, I am afraid. I am afraid because I don't know all the answers. And that means if I don't know all the answers, I'm afraid there is no God or the God does not care and that I am alone. It is your decision. Will you fill the gap with faith or with fear? Now, this leads us to another passage of Scripture where we hear what God does in that gap. So again, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. This psalm was a psalm prayed by kings when they went into the temple and by regular people when they went into the temple. When they, were needed, when they needed reminding that God was with them, that God was at work. And they would pray a prayer of affirmation. One of the reasons you need to pray prayers of praise is so that you can affirm who God is and how he works. And that's what we will hear. We'll start in verse nine. If you say, remember this is a prayer, if you say, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. Now we'll take you back to high school English. I know for some of you that's a long journey. Try to get there as fast as possible. Whenever you see a sentence begin with if, it is a conditional clause. You remember this? And you're looking for what is going to answer. If, then. So, so what is this verse? This verse is a conditional clause. If you say the Lord is my refuge, and if you make the most high your dwelling, then no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near you. Here's what I know about all of us. All of us have in mind the ultimate safe place or the ultimate safe relationship or the ultimate safe object. I know my brother has about 250 ultimate safe objects in his house. They're called guns. He feels safe because he has that many guns. Some people, that's where they put their trust. Some people put their trust in politics. Good luck with that. Some people will put their trust in a person. You know, and, and I've heard people say, you know, I know that even if nobody else loves me, my mama still loves me. 
or if nobody else loves me, my grandmother still loves me. I, I know that people think that. Some people put their trust in a place. That is their ultimate place of refuge. I was talking with a woman. Her parents, her last, her last surviving parent had passed away not too long ago. And I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm not doing good. I said, I'm sorry. I said, what, what's up? And she said, well, it's not so much that I'm still grieving my parents. I, they were old. They were believers. I know they've gone to be with Jesus, but we've had to clean out their house. And now we've sold it. And she said to me, I feel like the safe place of my childhood is gone. See, that's the trouble. That's the trouble with anything on earth that we make our refuge. Is we can't count on it. People are not here forever. Even the objects we put our trust in can be a little dicey. You can only shoot two guns at a time. What if the trigger jams? A house can get sold. But when you declare that God is your refuge, that that is where you dwell, that that is your safe place, that relationship can never be broken. Now there's this interesting phrase. It says, no harm will overtake you. And some of you are going to wait a minute. <laughs> I, I do trust Jesus and I put my hope in God. He's my refuge, but harm still seems to be nipping at my heels. We don't live in their culture, so we don't quite understand some of their metaphors. No harm will overtake you. Imagine that a lion jumps out. What would you do? I would panic. And then I would run. And I know there's something in a survival guide that says don't run, try to intimidate the tiger. But I've seen them. They are bigger than me and I know they're faster than me, but I don't think I'm thinking logically at this point. I'm running. And really, it doesn't matter how fast I run as long as I have someone with me. And if I can outrun that person, I'm gonna be okay. Here's what the scripture's really saying. Whenever trouble jumps out and starts to chase you, God always lags behind to take care of the trouble. God always will stand between you and the trouble. The trouble will not overtake you. It will not grab you. It will not bite you. This is one of the great failings many of us have as Jesus followers. We are not living lives of confidence. We are still panicking and worrying about things when God says, I'm standing between you and trouble. I'm standing between you and harm. Disaster is not going to define your life. When your life is defined by Jesus, no matter what disaster comes, you have an identity that is bigger. Now, in verse 11, we get specific. Remember, this is still this guy praying. He says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
These verses sound a little familiar. They are the verses that Satan quotes to Jesus. When Satan tempts Jesus, takes him up onto the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down. After all, the angels will guard you. They will make sure you don't even bruise your feet. Now just pause for a moment, all you literary types, and savor the irony of that story. Satan, the ex-angel, is quoting scripture to Jesus who inspired people to write it as a way of tempting Jesus. Most of you know that comedy is created by irony, and if the scene wasn't so serious, we'd be rolling on the floor because it's hilarious. Or it is to me. (laughs) Now, Satan understands an angel's role, and that's why he tried to tempt Jesus this way. What do these verses tell us? First of all, they tell us that God commands the angels. God is looking into your life. He's issuing commands on your behalf. How many of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Great movie, a little gory in the beginning. Do you remember how the movie actually starts before it shows the landing on the beaches of Normandy? General Marshall is reading a letter from Mrs. Ryan. Three of her children, her sons, have been killed in combat, and now she wants General Marshall to intervene and to rescue her surviving son who is part of the D-Day invasion. Lieutenant Miller, Tom Hanks, is then assigned to this mission to go find Private Ryan and save him. This is an exact picture of what God does. He knows what's going to happen in your life. He goes before you and he issues angels' orders so that they will protect you. What do angels do? They guard you. Any of you ever been on guard duty, military? Some of you raising your hand, yeah. What do you do on guard duty? This isn't hard, you guard. Right, that's what you do, you guard. You're making sure that the bad doesn't happen. One of the most interesting things about heaven, I think, will be when we see our lives in its totality, both the physical life we're living and how the supernatural interacted with our life, we will see the moments that God guarded us with his angels and trouble didn't happen. We're told that they will lift you up, the angels will, in in their hands. There are things in your life that are made easier because of angelic intervention that God sent and directed. Corey Ten Boom hid Jews in Holland during World War II so they would not be arrested and sent to their deaths in Nazi concentration camps. She eventually was arrested herself. She herself was sent to a concentration camp. She had managed to take a small Bible into jail with her But she knew that when she got to the concentration camp, all personal belongings were taken away from prisoners. Well, Corey Ten Boom had put that little Bible in a drawstring bag, had put the string around her neck, and the bag rested here between the small of her back and the small of her back. 
And as she went through the line where women were very roughly searched, the woman in front of her was searched. Her sister behind her was searched. But when it was Corey's turn, the guard said, move along, you're holding up the line. And she was never searched. She brought a Bible in to Buchenwald. How do you explain that? Well, you can say it's unexplainable. You can say Corey Ten Boom was lying. You can say, well, there must be a scientific explanation. There's a psychological explanation. Corey Ten Boom was able to hypnotize the guard and do a Jedi mind trick. There are no Bibles here. Or maybe there was angelic intervention. To not strike your foot against a stone means that God is clearing your path. I know some of you think you have a hard life, and I'm sure you do. And I'm sure there is pain and there is heartache that is real for you. But I want you just to imagine what would happen if your life really was completely random. If there was no supernatural intervention, maybe your life would be a lot harder than it really is now. Verse 13 extends this thinking. It says, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Lions and snakes are unexpected. And so if a snake you see suddenly in the woods, what do you do? Well, there are people in our church that are fool enough to reach down and grab a hold of that snake. And I don't understand that. The Bible says after the serpent tempts Adam and Eve successfully, the Bible says that God puts enmity between the offspring of the woman and the serpent, and I've been trying to fulfill that prophecy ever since. Here, the image of what we would do if we were confronted with a lion or with a snake is reversed. Instead of running away in fear, we turn and we trample them because we're not alone. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, uh, was born in China. She was a daughter of a missionary doctor. When she was a little girl, her, her father, Dr. Nelson Bell, came home and told a story about a woman that he had seen in the clinic that day about this, this illiterate Chinese woman who had gone up into the mountains with a sickle to cut grass. Do you, you know what a sickle is? Curved blade. You cut uh, wheat or grain or grass, fodder to feed the animals. That's what she was doing. She had her baby strapped to her back, and as she worked her way to the top of the mountain, a tiger, tigers in those days lived wild in the mountains of China, came out, sprang on her, attached its jaws to her shoulder, began to maul and paw at her arm. Now, this woman had never been to school, never read a Bible, had never entered a church building, but she had heard a missionary say that when you are in trouble, call out to Jesus and he will help. 
And so in her desperation with her baby on her back, this Chinese woman cried out, Jesus, help me. That's the most basic prayer of all, isn't it? And the tiger released her and went away. Now, how do you explain that? Do you say, well, that's just, that's just unexplainable? What's a coincidence? Or maybe you say, no, no, that didn't happen. The woman lied. And so the puncture wounds that she had on her arm and the mauling that was consistent with tiger claws, that's not real. The woman lied, Dr. Bell lied, Ruth Graham is lying, Billy Graham, when he wrote the story, they're all liars. You might say, well, there's a scientific explanation for it. There's, there was a, a synapse break in the tiger's brain. Or maybe an angel reached down and tapped the tiger and said, not her, not now. Now, God is going to reply. And I want you to notice how this passage is structured. We're told first about people who make God their refuge. Now we're going to talk about people who make God their focus, their, their love. And in between is the material about the angel. It's like the writer of this psalm wants to make sure we know that the main relationship we focus on is our relationship with God, not our relationship with an angel. Listen to what is said in verse 14 through 16. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Two things here. The, the, the phrase, because he loves me, is a Hebrew word. It means not just to love, but to cling, to attach in love. You ever seen someone attach in love? We've got a dog that attaches in love. I mean, wherever I go, that dog goes. I get up to get a glass of water. The dog comes to make sure I'm getting my water. Then I go back. The dog sits down. Some of you, you've got people in your life you attach to in love, right? Are you attached to God in love? Do you love God or do you just want God to love you? There's a phrase for that. It's called narcissism. A word for that, narcissism. And we're not called to be spiritual narcissists. We're called to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul. And, and there's this the third Sunday in a row we've hit this phrase. He acknowledges my name or he prays in my name. It means that we are acknowledging the authority of God. When we pray, we pray for the things that Jesus would pray for. When we seek miraculous intervention, we are asking God's will to be done. And, and, and this passage says that because we love God and because we recognize his authority, God will rescue us, he will protect us. And then going on in verse 15, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation what is God going to do for you when you love him? He's going to rescue you, protect you. He will be with you in trouble. Notice it doesn't say you'll never have trouble. What it says is you'll never have 
an alone feeling when you are in trouble because God is there. God's going to deliver us. He's going to honor us. And God is going to give you a life that will satisfy you. There's this phrase, and maybe it bothers you because you think, well, I know people who love God and they died young. Verse 16 says, with long life, I will satisfy him. What this means is God is going to give you a life that is as long as you need. God will give you a life that is as long as you need. And God will show you salvation. You'll get to see the ways that God is working. Your eyes will be opened. You will be more attuned to the spiritual world because God wants you to notice what he is doing on your behalf. Now, sometimes you don't even know it when it happens. But when you look back, you go, oh, that was God. When I was in high school, we had moved to town by then. And sometimes I would ride my bike to school. It was five miles uphill both ways in blinding snow in Florida. <laughs> I'd ride my bike to school. I remember riding home one day from school on my bike. I was on a side street. I could hear a car coming up behind me. I could hear the car beginning to accelerate. The car came alongside of me. There's no other traffic there. But there was not but one or two feet separating me from the car. He was passing very close. And then he cut in front of me. And I can still see in my memory the distance from the front wheel of my bike to the rear bumper of the car was about four, five, six inches most. And the car sped off, and I kept pedaling. It wasn't until much later it dawned on me that I could have been very seriously injured. I mean, what would have happened if he had missed that six inches? I mean, what would have happened if he just cut in, if his rear bumper had made contact with my front tire? I'd probably have been thrown off my bike. And keep in mind, this was back when, when our parents didn't love us and make us wear bike helmets, right? I mean, we, they just assumed we had hard heads and we'd survive. And the truth is, I, I could have made a very forceful impact on the ground, had a concussion, fractured my skull, broken my neck. Who knows? Now, how do you explain that? What's unexplainable? Or I'm lying. You know, I'm just making up the story like preachers do, and actually it was, you know, there was this much distance between the tire and the bumper. Or it could be a scientific explanation. I have no idea what that would be. Or it could be that that day, God intervened on my behalf, and an angel was sent on a mission push that car about six inches farther ahead. I choose to fill the gap with faith, not fear. So if you're a believer, 
Remember, you're not alone. God is at work. There are times when an angel might be with you, but if you're a believer, God is with you always. And if you're not a believer, I believe God still has angels that are working in your life. There's some things that happen in your life you probably can't explain. But I want to share with you as clearly as I can that what you need in your life is not more angels. What you need is Jesus. An angel is not all you need, but Jesus is. And today, you might realize you need to give your life to Jesus. You might need to say, I want to start a love relationship with Jesus. And then grow that relationship, mature. Because I think God, I know God wants to be with you every step of your life. Thanks for joining us for this service from Alice Drive Baptist Church. Alice Drive is one church with two locations. We have a location at the corner of Wise Drive and Loring Mill Road in Sumter. That location has services at 8.30 on Sunday morning, which is a traditional service. Two contemporary services, one at 9.45 and one at 11. And then a service on Monday night for people who can't make it on Sunday. And that service is at 7 o'clock. We also have a location called Pocala Church. It meets in Pocala Springs Elementary School on Bethel Church Road in Sumter. That location has two services at 9.45 and 11. I hope we will see you in person very soon. I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Drive Baptist Church in Sumter. Check us out at alicedrive.org. God bless you. Hope to see you soon.